You are listening to Installment 2 this week on the official Sasta podcast with me, your host, Harry Stebbings, at H Stebbings with two Bs on the wonderful Snapchat. And you can find the man behind it all, Jason Lemkin, on Twitter at JasonLK. However, to the show today, and we return to the incredible event that was Sasta Annual 2017 for one of my favourite talks of the entire conference. It's with previous guest on the show, David Brudnitsky, and you can find his episode in the show notes. And David is founder and CEO of 3Q Digital, a leading digital agency that was acquired by Hart Hanks in 2015. Prior to 3Q Digital, he held senior marketing roles at several internet companies, including Rentals.com, FindLaw, Adteractive, and Mercantilla. And David currently serves on advisory boards for several companies, including Marin Software, Media Boost, Media Calls, and a stealth travel startup. Joining David for the conversation today is Loretta Jones. Loretta is the Vice President of Marketing at Delighted, the fastest and easiest way to gather customer feedback and put it into the hands of those who can act on it. Loretta's had more than 15 years of experience in marketing marketing, strategy, communications, demand gen, and growth marketing for both SMB and enterprise companies. Prior to Delighted, Loretta's marketing programs grew in Sightly, a CRM for small business, from 100,000 users to over 1.2 million. Prior to Insightly, Loretta worked at Adobe Sign, formerly Adobe Echo Sign, and grew the Echo Sign brand to $25 million. But before we dive into the show today, we all know that trust is a key component to the success of any business, and that's where Reviews.io comes in. Reviews.io is a Google-trusted third-party review platform platform and is the only platform in the world which collects, monitors, and publishes reviews to Google, Bing, Facebook, Amazon, and more. Reviews.io is the only solution on the market which allows businesses to see a 360-degree view of their reputation across the web with their robust API that allows you to manage your reputation automatically while achieving the industry's highest review collection. Reviews.io is perfect for any business that's looking to increase conversions, build customer trust, and increase visibility on Google. Unlike competing platforms, Reviews.io do not agree with long-term content and even has a 15-day trial for all SASTA listeners. Simply head over to reviews.io now and sign up for your free trial. However, enough from me, so I'm now delighted to hand over to David Brunitsky, CEO at 3Q Digital. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. What David and I decided to do for our session was basically just go over some of the common questions that we get around SCM. So we have about seven questions, and then we're just going to answer the questions and have a conversation about it. So the first question is, David, should all SaaS companies invest in SCM? What do you think about that? It's a good question. And I want to say that we have 25 minutes, and um, we, we both got speaking coaches, and they said speak very slowly. But because we have 25 minutes, and because we want to give you guys as much information as possible, we're going to speak really quickly. Good. Don't, don't, don't blame us. Okay, so should all companies invest in SEM? So I run what's primarily an SEM agency, so you'd think my answer is going to be yes, but... I'm going to give you five reasons why you shouldn't run SEM, or another way to say it is, here are five things you need as a SaaS company to be good at SEM. Number one is people have to search for your, I mean, searching for your product. If you're selling CRM, great, people are searching. If you're selling some newfangled price optimization Hadoop database that no one searches for, no one's going to search. You're wasting your time in SEM. Number two, are your economics as good as your competitors? If Salesforce can pay $1,000 a lead and you can pay $10 a lead, you're not going to show up or you're going to show up on some pretty bad terms. So you have, you have to really get to the point where you have economics, competitive, competitive economics for, to make this work. Number three, do you actually know what you're doing in SEM? Um, uh, Google makes it seem like it's really easy to do SEM, but like everything in life, um, it's easy to do but hard to do well. So I'm not saying hire an agency. You can certainly hire in-house. But if you don't know what you're doing in SEM, I guarantee you, you will lose a lot of money. Number four, uh, is your um, conversion funnel as good or better than competitors. Conversion funnel, in this case, refers to the ad text, the landing page, 
the post-conversion post, um, uh, nurture, if it's a free trial or something like that. Um, I guarantee you that if you test a landing page once a month for 12 months, you'll see a 20% increase in conversion rate. If you don't test it and your competitors do, you'll be out of luck. Number five, is your offer as good as your competitors? So let's go back to the CRM example. If you're charging $69 a month for CRM and someone else is charging you $9 a month, um, the competition's a click away. So don't think that you can trick people into buying something that is relatively the same product for 80% more than what your competitors are charging because it's easy to find um, out what your competitors are doing. So with all that being said, if you meet those five criteria, SEM is awesome for SaaS. Um, we have um, companies that are spending a million dollars a month on, SA- on, on SEM in SaaS and are profitable and, and, and overjoyed. Uh, Loretta, what's your perspective from the... Uh, I think that was a really depressing opening. Okay, That's my thank perspective. you. No, just yeah. kidding. Um, if I spoke slower, would it be less depressing? <laughs> no. Um, okay. No, I mean, I'm assuming that because you guys are here, you have at least you know three or four of the things, that the requirements that David talked about. Um, the only thing that I would add is his point on you really need to know what you're doing with SEM, whether you hire an agency or whether you do it in-house. It's something that you can't like set or forget. You have to have somebody that's in there every day that's looking at the bids, that's looking at the competitors, that's trying to be creative with the text, landing pages, et cetera. So it is an investment, not just in money, but it's an investment in time for you for it to really pay off. No doubt. Okay, next question. I'll give this to you, Loretta. How does SEM differ for a, an SMB SaaS company versus an enterprise SaaS company? Because SaaS is a pretty murky term. Right. So I think that if you are running SMB, an SMB company, um, you can use SEM for the top of the funnel. It's really easy or it's really good to get people to sign up for a free account or to sign up for a free trial. I've done that fairly successfully. I think it's pretty much the opposite if you are running a SaaS enterprise company, right? Because what you really need to do is you need to use SEM to kind of um, promote a lot of your assets, to promote your white papers, to kind of just collect information from customers and then kind of nurture them. So it can be very effective, but they're just kind of two different strategies and two different tactics that um, come in that in both of those different agent, both of those different companies. Yeah, I would agree. I would say that um, SEM by its nature is a demand fulfillment channel, which means people are raising their hands saying, "I'm looking to buy something." And typically speaking, um, when you're looking at an enterprise uh, sale, those hand raisers um, are coming about through um, inside sales, through trade shows, through. Uh, nurture campaigns from promotions, whatever you can make it work in enterprise, but um, most hand raisers are going to are going to be more like consumers and be on the more on the SMB side. So, and by SMB, I would say if your product is less than let's say two or three hundred dollars a month, the odds are that you're going to see a lot more volume from SEM. You're also going to be have the opportunity to convert a lot more people directly in SEM. And I agree with you on the point of enterprise that, um, that if you're going to use uh, SEM for enterprise, you need to do things that are more mid funnel which would be things like um, free, free uh, demo, free white paper, free E-books, trial. assets, yeah. Assets, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, maybe I'll incorporate this, in, this last question to this one. So <laughs> do, do testing text ads matter? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that um, Google tricks people into is, is um, the notion that the higher your click-through rate, the better you're, you're doing. So um, to give you an example, if I had an ad that said, Free CRM software, zero down, zero a month, get it for free. Click-through rate is going to be through the roof, but the conversion rate in terms of what gets you guys your salaries every week is going to be very bad. So you need to test text ads not just for, um, for the click-through rate, but also for the conversion rate. And um, just as I said with the landing pages, if you test your text ads over and over and over again, and I usually recommend you start with A-B testing where you literally are just trying you know, totally random text ad A and totally random text ad B 
um, and then um, finding the winner, and then eventually moving to multivariate after that, you will see improvement. Now, the one example I was going to give, which um, the previous question was, let me see if I remember, it was, oh, um, SMB competitors on your keyword. So, um, so we worked with Exact Target before they were acquired by Salesforce, and um, Constant Contact had an ad that said, um, get started with email marketing for $10 a month. And so we said, well, Exact Target's $2,000 a month. We're not going to be able to compete on that. Let's turn that strength into a weakness. So we changed the ad to say, serious about email marketing, you deserve better than a $10 uh, email solution. And what happened was we got all the enterprise customers. And for a while, Constant Contact actually removed the price from their ads because we were sort of calling them out as being sort of the, the cheap solution. So um, I tried to answer two questions at once there, but <laughs> why, why, what's your thought? So I'm a big fan of testing. I love testing. When you're looking at your, when you're trying to create your text ads, I would recommend that you try to put emotion in them. You try to make them very human. I mean, because that, that's really what, what attracts people. Um, so a couple stories. Back in the day when I, when I worked at Insightly, um, one of our best ads was, had a word files in it, so that you obviously love Insightly. Our CEO hated it. He said, he was like, because he thought it had bad connotation of the O file, but he couldn't really argue with the data because literally for six months it was our best performing ad. And then what happened was... Um, um, we were working with an agency, and one of the agencies came up with this um, this term of "insightly is loved by grandmas to geeks." And literally, then that was our best performing ad for like two years. So my point is, you never kind of play with play with your text ads. You never know where your good ideas are going to come from, and then just test, 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 test. Yep, yep. I always say that keywords are zeros and ones. Um, if the word Britney Spears sells CRM software, I'm going to buy it. And I'd say the same is true for, for text ads. I mean, mm-hmm. um, when you let your CEO choose your text ads, um, you get into the hippo situation. For those of you who don't know hippo, it stands for highest paid person's opinion. Right. And that doesn't, um, that does not a scientific method. Right. The other thing I was gonna, just going to add on that in terms of testing is that now um, at Delighted, we do customer experience with NPS. And so NPS is net promoter score if you're not familiar. But in our case, when people are, in, in many cases, when people are searching for NPS, it's actually National Park Service. So again, that just goes to make sure that you test, make sure that when, when people are searching, they're actually searching for the intent. That's really what it's about. And I can one-up you on that story because um, <laughs> I used to work for a furniture um, website, and we sold bedroom furniture, and one of the things we sold was nightstands. And I learned it, with your experience that the word one-night stand is not someone looking for a nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to be careful to double entendres. Um, oh, but but uh, even, even more seriously, I mean, if you're if you're an, a cybersecurity company, the word internet security, 99% of the people who typed it in are looking for Norton antivirus. So you do have to be careful about the double entendres of B2B versus B2C. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I think this is my chance to ask you a question, which is um, no demand channels and islands. So how does SEM fit into all these other marketing channels that people are using? Facebook, SEO, affiliate, whatever. So I think they all they actually all work together. One of one of my old CEOs would always come up to me and he'd always be like, "What's our best demand channel? What's our silver bullet?" Right? And my response to him is our silver bullet is when all of our demand channels are working as well as they need to work because they actually complement each other. I mean, nowadays people are using um, research online to get information, right? So for example, you need to ha- make sure that all of your messaging is cohesive across your display ads, across your social Facebook ads, um, and then also within your SEM tech. So one of the things that I've done in the past, for example, is when we bring up a new feature in the product that we want to promote, we make sure that across all of our campaigns, content, blog, SEM, SEO, display, it's all consistent, right? So that no matter how someone actually comes to you, whether it's maybe they see one of your display ads and they don't click it, but then maybe a week later someone reminds them of something and they say, oh yeah, let me search for that. They'll see the same message consistently. So that's really what I would recommend if you're, if you're investing in multiple channels is to make sure that they're all consistent. Yeah, I would say that... Um 
you know, SEM can work great, but SEM only works if someone found out about your product um, somewhere earlier in the funnel. So I, I think that there are three horsemen of the attribution apocalypse. When people really start using attribution for their marketing, the things that are going to lower in value are brand keywords, retargeting, and coupon sites. And probably not many of you work with coupon sites, but you probably all have um, brand keywords and you have retargeting and you think, oh my God, the conversion rate is amazing on this. Well, no one wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I wonder if there's a CRM company called Contactually. I'm just going to type that in. Oh, it is. I'm going to buy that, keep that product. There's things uh, uh, higher up in the funnel that, that influence that. Um, so, um, uh, so I think that um, the other thing I'll say is with, with search in particular, um, I usually say there's three types of companies in search. There are established brands, there are low price leaders, and there's the muddy middle. And you, you become an established brand by demand generation, by branding, by trade shows and speaking and everything like that. If you're in the muddy middle and no one knows who you are and you're not the low-priced leader and you run a search, someone runs a search for CRM software, the odds are they're not going to click on your ad, they're not going to convert on your ad because they have no reason to believe that they should, they should trust you. So all that top-of-funnel stuff ends up impacting your, your SEM performance. Well, actually, I just wanted to add add on that because I've worked at a lot of startups where you know the brand is not uh, the brand is not a household name, and a couple lessons that I have learned in that in that particular regard. So when we we, we used to you know we've like oh we got to do all these landing pages we got to start with these landing pages, and what we found is that taking people from SEM to our homepage was the best performing page. And what that told us was that people didn't know our brand, so when they were clicking on it, they didn't want to go to some place that said sign up for a white paper if they didn't know what they're actually doing. What they want to do is get to know more about the company. And so what you want to do is not necessarily try to attract, get them to give you their information right away, but kind of make it a little bit of a journey. So literally for probably two years, our homepage was our best performing landing page, and we tested a lot. And then what happens, we started to see that our best performing landing page was our pricing page, which then showed us that people were becoming more and more familiar with our brand. Our brand was getting out there. And now people were interested in kind of the price of our product and that sort of thing. So I think it just goes back to to the testing and kind of if people don't know your brand, if you're in the muddy middle, make sure that when they are clicking on your SEM ad that you're kind of taking them on a journey, not immediately asking them to give you something. And I'll, I'll just add that there's a great article that came out in Search Engine Land two weeks ago called All Keywords Are Brand Keywords by Larry Kim from WordStream. And um, I'm not going to explain it in detail, but it just ta- it just shows you how you can imp- how you can measure the impact of brand on your non-brand keywords, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting. Um, so our next question: um, My LTV metric, LTV meaning lifetime value metric, takes a long time to figure out. So should I just optimize my SEM spend to a cost per acquisition to a CPA? So CPA is a great place to start, especially if you have a long latency to purchase, or if you have an LTV that lasts for months on end. The problem with CPA is. Um, to give an example, um, we're talking before about free software. If someone types in the word free software versus buy software now as a keyword, the free software keyword is always going to have a better cost per acquisition because people are looking for something free. They're going to sign up for something that's free. However, the LTV on anything that has the word free in it is generally not so good. So um, you absolutely need to use CPA as a metric, but if, you, if possible, you want to blend that metric with more downstream Behavior. So one example would be if you have uh, marketing automation and you have some sort of lead scoring, um, calculate the lead score at a keyword level. Another thing that's really important is um, to take the keyword that, um, that got a conversion, but also pass that keyword variable into your, sales, into your CRM um, and match the keyword with the revenue that that keyword actually drives. A lot of people 
um, don't do this. They don't pass a variable into their CRM to look at the LTV at a keyword level. If you're doing it at a channel level, just AdWords, for example, you're not going to see the variances in how those CPAs turned into actual LTV. Um, and it's a it's not an out-of-the-box thing to do, but um, there are companies that can help you with that, and any expert can help you with that as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as in marketing, right, you're spending money. So at the end of the day, you have to be responsible for the return on that money that you're spending, right? So it's very important uh, in all the companies that I've worked at is what is what is the return on that spend, right? So it's really important that you know all of your metrics. And, you know, uh, I'll just go off in, you know, tech jargon, right? But it's really important that you know your customer acquisition costs, that you know your CAC ratio, that you know your lifetime value. So you need to know at the really throughout the funnel what that demand channel does. And um, I would recommend that you try to get those metrics as quickly as possible. If you can't, you can use a proxy, but you really need to know kind of what you're, you're putting this much money in. How much money are you getting out of this out of this investment from a marketing perspective? Um, and I'll just add, if, if um, I, I, I refer to this sometimes as information asymmetry. So if you know that the word free software has a $500 LTV and the word software has a $1,000 LTV, you end up bidding double on, on software and your competitor who doesn't know this doesn't bid double, but bids whatever they bid on um, free software. Mm-hmm. What ends up happening is they outbid you for free software because you don't want it, and you outbid them for software, and suddenly they can't figure out how you're making money at this. You have better information. Right, that's true. The other thing you could, that you can even take it one step further, which is what I've done in the past, is if you have the type of um, analytics programs that actually let you know what people from SCM are actually doing in your product, what you can do is you can take that information and then turn it into more text ads. Right, so you're saying basically people from SEM do this in the product. Right. If there's any commonality, then take it and take it again to the top of the funnel and to try to attract more. So it's just kind of a a, a life cycle thing. Okay, I have a limited budget. Um, if you have a limited budget, should you bother with competitor terms? Or even non-brand terms. So my, I just have a philosophy that if you have a very limited budget, that you probably shouldn't bother with competitor brand terms. Because to me, frankly, I just think it's a pissing match, right? Now, if you have all the money in the world, that's a different, that's a completely different story. But I've been in situations where um, Salesforce, for example, has been bidding on my term, and they have about seventy percent impression share. So in that case, I would say yes, I would bid against their term when you can, if you have the money. But for the most part, um, I don't. It's a philosophy thing, and there are plenty of people out here that, that might disagree with me. So for Brand, my philosophy is generally, unless I have a leftover budget, I would not bid on other brand. For non-brand, for sure, no question, I would definitely bid on non-brand terms. But that's just, like I said, my philosophy based on my experience. So typically, I don't like to do it unless there's an aggressive competitor that's bidding, bid, bidding against me, and then I will do it. But as a matter of course, for brand terms, I typically don't. So I would say if you are the um, industry, industry leader, the 800-pound gorilla, you should definitely try to get some sort of friendly fire agreement with all of your competitors not to buy each other's keywords. If you are a, new, a newbie to the, to the space, um, you should try buying your competitors' keywords because they're going to get a lot of traffic. Now, Google is going to penalize you by increase, reducing your quality score. And even if you're the only person advertising on that keyword, you're going to probably pay $10 a click. But um, we call that conquesting, and it can be a really effective way that to drive revenue. And then if you want a little advanced tip, if you haven't tried Gmail-sponsored promotions, GSP, mm-hmm. that's a way you can actually um, advertise against someone's um, email, uh, email list. That's effective. Non-brand, I think, is a no-brainer. I, as I said before, I think brand is the most overrated thing out there. So if you, um, uh, your, your brand is always going to get more credit than it deserves. Non-brand is where you really win, win the day. Okay, I think we have time for one more. Last question. We're, we're more or less on time. Good. Okay. Um, so everyone knows about SEM. Um, so there's no arbitrage opportunity anymore. Can it really drive massive ROI? Um, 
Yes. So it, last year, the company that I worked with, basically our SCM channel had a customer acquisition ratio, a CAC ratio of 3.3, and we saw about a 275% ROI. So granted, it's not you know, it's not a thousand percent, et cetera, but it was pretty good. We were very happy with that. And to give you context with those numbers in terms of the CAC ratio and the 275, it was probably in the top third of our demand channels that we had. And we did content, SEO, we did um, display, we did a lot of different channels. So for us, it was a worthwhile investment. But again, it's something that you, you have to kind of, it's not something that just happens overnight. It's something that you kind of have to nurture, you have to pay attention to, to actually start seeing an ROI on it. Yeah, I think the arbitrage opportunity is gone. Um, it's a lot more competitive. But there's a reason that SaaS companies spend half a million, a million dollars a month in SEM. And that is because when you measure it properly, when you do the right testing, when you have the right experts, it is massively profitable. And it's, it's an incredible way to scale your business once you have the right pieces uh, in place. So fantastic to hear David and Loretta break down all the myths and truths around SEM. And if you enjoyed the show today and would like to see more from us, then you can follow me on Snapchat at hstebbings with two Bs. Or you can follow the main man at Sasta Jason Lemkin on Twitter at JasonLK. I know we'd both love to see you there. But before we leave you today, we all know that trust is a key component to the success of any business. And that's where Reviews.io comes in. Reviews.io is a Google-trusted third-party review platform and is the only platform in the world which collects, monitors, and publishes reviews to Google, Bing, Facebook, Amazon, and more. Reviews.io is the only solution on the market which allows businesses to see a 360-degree view of their reputation across the web with their robust API that allows you to manage your reputation automatically while achieving the industry's highest review collection. Reviews.io is perfect for any business that's looking to increase conversions, build customer trust, and increase visibility on Google. Unlike competing platforms, Reviews.io do not agree with long-term contracts and even has a 15-day trial for all SASTA listeners. Simply head over to Reviews.io now and sign up for your free trial. As always, I so appreciate all your support and I look very forward to bringing you Monday's episode.